We're continuing our series in the churches in Revelation in chapters, we're actually in chapter three, verses one through six. This Sunday, we're looking at the church in Sardis. Now, we began in Ephesus. Ephesus lost their first love, that passion. And then we looked at Smyrna, which was a suffering church. And and we saw amazing how this, God just loved this church. There was no condemnation for them. There was no confrontation. Uh, it was just to them endure in through the time and the suffering they went through. We looked at Pergama and in Pergama we saw, we saw a compromise beginning to happen where, the, where those in the church at Pergama were beginning to compromise truth and it was beginning to filter into their lifestyle and the way that they walked after Christ. And then the last time we, were, we looked at this series was at Thyatira and we saw tolerance where now they were living in such a way that they just tolerated blatant iniquity in their midst and, and did not deal with it. And Jesus was confronting them and having them to deal with it. And so this morning we're looking at the church in Sardis. The church in Sardis is a spiritually dead church. It's a church that has a reputation of being alive, but in their heart, in the middle of it, they're, they're spiritually dead. And so there's times when we look at the scriptures and we look at them and we almost see like a mirror where God's just looking back. It's so easy for us when we come to scriptures and we look at everybody else and we think, oh, they need, they, yeah, well, this, I hope they're listening. We do that. But the reality is we're looking in the mirror. We're looking at the truth of God's word and we're asking God to speak to us, his people, that his spirit would move among us and enlighten us to the things that we need to know in our lives that we might grow and be more and more like Jesus. That's our, that's our vision here at Mansfield Bible Church, that we would together learn to follow Jesus, that we would glorify him as we remain and abide in Christ, as we understand that we belong to the body of Christ, we belong to the people of God, as we understand that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation and we're to be impacting others around us. So when we look in chapter three and verse one, it says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So a little information about the city of Sardis. Sardis was known for its, its past wealth and splendor. It was an amazing city of great wealth and splendor. And it was a commercial trade route that kind of went east and west. So there was a lot that was going on in the city. But the city at this time was beginning to decline. It was in a decline. It was famous for its dye and textile, its jewelry industry as well. In fact, coins were first minted here in Sardis. And one historian said that Sardis is, the, is where the modern money began, when the coin systems that we had, it began in Sardis, as one historian said. But also, also Sardis was viewed with contempt. Um, they were known for their loose living, pleasure-seeking, and love of luxury. Uh, almost sounds like another country I know of. Sardis was a city of indulgence and a city of decline, and it was seen with great contempt. So it's kind of interesting when you look at that and we look at this church in the middle of, of Sardis and we start to realize, hey, this, this church had a reputation of being alive, but it was actually spiritually dead. And so we need to understand that. As we look at our, ourselves, and I'll say it a couple of times today, hey, the church isn't this building, right? The church is the people of God. 
And so as Jesus is looking at this church, the application isn't, isn't like, oh, everybody else. The application is for us individually. And that we need to examine ourselves and understand where we're at spiritually. We never need to, we should never grow complacent and apathetic towards our spiritual condition. We need to understand. And so Jesus is speaking to this church at Sardis in the middle of, of all of this industry, all of this activity. Even though the church, the city was in decline, the church had great, great needs as well. And so Jesus describes himself there, the words of him who has seven spirits of God and, and the seven stars. We know that from other passages, the seven stars are the messengers or the, maybe the pastors the, of, the, of those churches. But when he talks about the seven churches, I believe that's a reference to the, or the seven spirits of God, I believe that's a reference to the Holy Spirit in relation to himself. It's a picture of completeness when you see the word seven. And it's this idea, really, if you go back to Isaiah chapter two, and uh, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verses two through five, it really describes about the Holy Spirit being on the Messiah. And it actually gives a kind of almost a sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit. It talks about it being resting on him, wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, knowledge and, and awe or fear of the Lord. And so it indicates kind of that picture of what's going on. And when you think about this church who thought it was active and alive, how important it is to have the Spirit involved. Because the Holy Spirit teaches us, right? It enlightens us. It reminds us of the truth of God's word. It reminds us of those things. And the reality is in our lives, when we begin to drift, what do we do? We begin to ignore those little messages in our life. We start saying, oh, it's not so important. That's really not a big deal. It was just a little white lie, right? I mean, that's what the terms we used to use. And so the Holy Spirit being involved in this, he speaks to this church. And so when we look at this church, there's really two groups of people that Jesus addresses in this church. And the first one is those who appear to be alive, alive, but are actually dead. And look at verses one through three of chapter, or two through three, well, actually the end of verse one. Through, he says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. So the first thing he says is he says, hey, I know your works. We've, every one of the churches, we've said this. I want to reemphasize it again. I know you probably are tired of hearing it at this point, but God knows. And there's a picture of that there's nothing hidden from Christ. There's nothing hidden. You came in this morning and maybe you're thinking some things going on in your life are invisible to everybody else, but they're not invisible to God. He knows, he knows our righteousness, which we'll see here in a minute, but he also knows our iniquity. He knows our circumstances. We're really good sometimes at blaming our circumstances for our spiritual condition. And the reality is our, our, our circumstances don't define our spiritual condition. Our spiritual condition is defined by Christ. We're in him. And when we walk by faith, we begin to understand that. And so he says, I know your works. And he says this, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Who would ever want to hear those words? This is where I think the church at Sardis really is like the city of Sardis. A lot of activity, a lot of things going on, but there's this, 
there's a decline. In fact, it says there, if you notice, a reputation of life. They seemed to be, have a vitality, but in reality, there was spiritual death. The church of Sardis was surrounded by ease and comfort. In fact, it's interesting from what we can tell when we look at the, at the city of Sardis, when we look at the church, when we look at them, there was really not much fear of persecution. There was a lot of ease from what we could tell. There wasn't much opposition to them. Maybe it's because they became so much of the, of the culture of Sardis that people didn't fear them anymore. Look, people, when you walk after God, there's times that it's going to rub people wrong. We need to understand that. There's times it will. If, if that wasn't true, they would never have crucified Jesus. And it seems like the church here at Sardis began to just be content with the status quo. You, you know, when we as a church, when we as a, pre, as a people of God, when we as individuals move to becoming more and more complacent, where we strive for ease, when we're content because everything seems to be going okay, there's a great danger in that moment. There's no sense of danger or opposition. We kind of get lulled into sleep spiritually. It's when our adversary will creep in and begin to sow the seeds of apathy, killing our spiritual passion, leading us into deadness. And it's, it's just a reality, people. We need to be aware of that reality. This letter, again, was written to the church, but it's referring to us as individuals. And so the question we have to ask is, is are we alive in Christ Jesus? Are we alive in the gospel? Not alive in activity, but alive in who Jesus is in me. To understand who I am in Christ Jesus. You know, there's so many times that we kind of approach we approach spiritual things in what we do and don't do. But the reality is the only qualification I have to stand up here today is in Christ. That's all I have. There's, there's smarter people in the room. There's more gifted people in the room. There's more qualified people in the room. But the reality is it's who we are in Christ. And each of us in Christ are able to walk after him. And the question we would ask ourselves as we begin to examine is, am I alive in Christ? Have you received Christ into your life? We're not talking about just some kind of attribute where you add him and it, you know, it looks really good to put my Bible up on the shelf. I remember the day not too long ago where politicians were always quoting Christ and Jesus, right? They don't do it as much anymore. You know why? Because we're becoming a deader, deader country. And the things of God doesn't matter as much as they once did. But that cannot be true for us if we're the people of God. Because in Christ, we're, we have everything. There's nothing in and of ourselves. We are totally dependent on him where we grow in complacency. And the church at Sardis was spiritually dead, but it was not without hope. It wasn't without hope. It doesn't mean it was doomed to deadness, but there were some things they needed to bring into their lives. There were some things they needed to do so that they can bring life instead of spiritual death, spiritual life in Christ Jesus. 
And the first one there is in verse 2. He says, wake up. Wake up. It means the idea literally of being calm and stay awake. And he says to wake up and to strengthen the things or strengthen what remains and is about to die. We learn something here. We learn something. Please hear me. Please hear me, dear people of God. Hear me. It's not too late. If you've been drifting, it's not too late. But the first step is you got to wake up. I always got a kick out of my mom. My dad, my dad was a Golden Glove State champion a couple of years, and he boxed for Navy. And so when you, when you wake up, my dad, and I learned as a very young, you're a very young age, my dad came up swinging. So I can remember I'd go down and wiggle his toes. That's how I would get him awake. I'd just kind of start wiggling his toes. and he started. But even that was a little dangerous at times with my dad. So my mom had to learn how to wake up my dad. My dad was a big time fisherman. We lived in Colorado, so we fished rainbow trout all the time. We always had trout in the, fridge, in the freezer. And my dad would wrap them individually. And he'd wrap them in an aluminum foil back in the day. And he'd wrap them up and throw them in the freezer and freeze them. Well, what my mom would do is she'd go in there and grab a couple of those frozen trout and go in and open up the blankets, throw them in there and walk out of the room. <laughs> and sooner or later, my dad come walking out. He was awake, right? <laughs> what does it take to wake you up? Spiritually, what does it take to wake you up? I mean, how long do we continue in our slumber? We have to trust the Holy Spirit to wake us up. It's an interesting fact about the city of Sardis. The city of Sardis was about 1,500 feet above the main roads that were, were in front of it. And there was literally vertical walls. It was a natural fortification and impossible to, to kind of penetrate or besiege. And so Sardis became very comfortable with the, with the reality that they were protected. And so there was a particular entrance where this was at and they closed the gate and they didn't put a lot of guards. In fact, maybe a couple of guards. They wouldn't put guards there because they, they were so confident, they were so comfortable in the protection of these vertical walls that they didn't think that they could be penetrated. Well, there was one time where there was some soldiers down that were trying to figure out how to besiege the city and one of the, one of the soldiers up on the wall, he kind of leaned over and his helmet fell off. And so they're watching this and he kind of finds this little path and goes down, gets his helmet, goes back up into, back into the city. And the guy watching it goes, huh, there must be a way. And they find a way, send a couple up. They open the walls, came in. It was so easy. Why? Because the city was sleeping. It happened twice, by the way. Once in 539 BC and the other was 214 BC. So dear people of God, Hear me when I say don't, don't fall asleep spiritually. Don't get complacent about your faith. Don't get complacent about your walk. Be vigilant. Be vigilant and recognize what's at stake, your very spiritual well-being. Understand the reality that what we're walking in, in Christ, this world wasn't created just for us to do a bunch of good things. We were created to have a relationship with the Almighty God from everlasting to everlasting. And when we fell into sin because of our ancestor, Adam, sin entered in the world through, through all that we were doomed. And by the grace of God, because of what God had done, moved by his love, demonstrating his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came and we saw God, fully man, fully God, walk among us, calling us to himself, that all who would believe would, would become children of God. 
become the people of God. God did that. And through his death and his burial and his resurrection, that now because he lives, righteousness has entered for all who would believe. Do you believe? That's who you are in this world. I don't know what your occupation is. I don't know what your hobbies are. I don't know what your desires and, and all, all those things that God has given us to enjoy, they're good, but they're not to be worshiped over him. And we need to understand that or else we're gonna be drifting. We're gonna be drifting into spiritual deadness when we think we're alive. We need to be aware. He says to them there, he says, your works have not be found, have not, <clears throat> your works have, your, he did not find your works complete. No, there in verse two. It means mature or perfect. In fact, I was asking myself the question, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because it was, they were going through the motions of religion and not the relationship that they have with God through Christ Jesus. I never forget one time where family that I worked for, the, the wife had came up to me, she had gone to a BSF meeting and heard the Bible teach. She'd been going for a little while. And she walked out there and I was working and she found me and she said she knew I was a believer. She walked up to me, she said, Greg, do you believe that you can have a personal relationship with God? I said, yeah, I do. And I told her about Jesus and what Jesus had done. And I'll never forget her reaction. She shook her head and she said, I just can't believe that. And walked away my heart was crushed. My heart was crushed because what she was involved in was just religion, not a relationship with God. You see, I want you to know something. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Religion is about what you do or don't do. But what we're about is what we are in Christ Jesus. It's about what he did. Christ did everything to make us worthy. That's the gospel. That's what we hang on to. He did it all. And religion is false. Religion isn't going to get you into heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. The work of Jesus in Christ, what he did, will get you into heaven. It's the gospel. It's the atonement, what we talked about a few months ago. It's about the truth of what Christ had done. That's the message we have. I can talk about everything I am and where I came from, but the life-changing transformation takes place because of the gospel, not because of my testimony. It's the gospel that changes life, and it's the gospel that keeps us from drifting in to spiritual deadness. And when we fall in love with the gospel and we read these words and they go, oh my gosh, God, what did you do? Praise be to you. And this morning I was, had the opportunity to teach on communion, understanding the Lord's Supper in the Institute. And it was really hard in some ways because I was just getting so excited at the reality of what God had done in his broken body and his shed blood that today I stand here in the righteousness of Christ even though, even though I had done nothing. But by faith, we have been justified, declared righteous, and to God be the, be the glory. See, we need to examine ourselves, church. You might be doing all kinds of activities. You might be all involved in Bible studies and, and doing all kinds of things in the name of God, amen. 
but inside, deep inside, there's no life. And you need to examine. I always hated that passage in Matthew 7, you know the one, where they come to Jesus at the end and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're like, what, wait a second. We prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we did this in your name. I mean, Lord, we, we were at church every Sunday. We gave. I mean, surely. And his words that he says is, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. Ah, the pierces. What is Jesus describing there? He's describing people who think they're alive, but they're dead. Now look, I'm not trying to create a problem where you're doubting your faith. That isn't what I'm trying to do. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm calling you. I'm calling you right now. Have you received Christ in your life? That's all you're depending on? It's not what you put in that box when you walk out the door. It's not how many times you've been through the door. Are those good things? Are those important things? Absolutely, they're acts of obedience that you will understand as you grow in your sanctification and understanding what God did through you, in you through Jesus Christ. You'll begin to understand those things. But the question is, are you alive in Christ? Or are you resting in what you've accomplished? Religion is just about what we do. I, I can put up the, the flag and go, look what I did. But when I understand what Christ did, I throw it down because I did nothing. And I put up the flag of Christ because without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I'm nothing. Are you resting in Christ, dear people of God? Let me, by the grace of God, call you this morning and challenge you. Please do not be offended. Please do not harden your heart. Please do not turn to the left or the right. If you need to wake up and strengthen that which remains, then do it. May the Spirit of God move. If you have to receive the gospel, receive Christ by faith, then today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. You see, God's wrote a book. He's wrote a book, he's wrote us the scriptures. And in it, we have truth and it tells us about him being the God of strength, the sovereign one. Only he can provide righteousness through, what the work, through the work of what Jesus has done. Only he and his ways work. Without him, we can do nothing. You need to wake up. And we also need to remember the things that he has done for us. That's what he says there in the passage. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Verse 3, remember then. Remember, remember what's true. Remember that God wrote a book. Remember the truth of God's word. And don't go through the activities and thinking they verify your salvation. It's our faith in Christ. It's trusting God to do exactly what he said he would do. I spent too much time in my life early on, even pastoring for a time, where I was all, I never, just didn't experience the joy of God and the comfort and the peace. I was always wrestling with the truths and the reality and just realizing the shortcomings of my life. And it wasn't until I came to a place where I understood that it's all him and I rest in what he has done that I began to experience the righteousness of God, begin to experience the peace and the joy. Some of you this morning are struggling with that. 
And you need to, you need to remember it's Christ. You don't, you don't have anything. You don't bring in anything to the game this morning. Don't drift off into all the good works and the good things that you're doing in life and think somehow that validates you. What validates you is Jesus. And when you do those good works and those good things, it only glorifies him. It doesn't glorify you. And that's the way it should be. It's to him and to his honor. And we need to remember the power of the gospel. Remember the radical transformation that in it, the life is where life begins and not to be drifted off into slumber. He also says there in verse three, remember, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent, keep it and repent. That's the third thing we need to do if we're gonna bring life, not only wake up and remember, but now keep it and repent. Remember those things you know. Some of you know truth and you ignore it. I love you. Some of you know, but there's things you wanna do in life so you kinda of take truth and you set it over here and so you can try to somehow find your own way. That, that doesn't work. You need to remember what's true, repent from that way and move towards the truth of God's word. You see, what happens when you remember what you have learned, when you remember the truth, you realize that you have drifted and what do you do? You repent, you turn from and move towards. You turn from drifting and you turn towards him. You turn from your own ways and you turn towards his ways. So when you read God's word, and even though it, sometimes there's things in his word that I read and I'm like, Lord, I, you turn from it because you know this is truth and you remember it to be true. And if you do not wake up, look what he says there. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. If you do not respond, judgment's coming. I know that doesn't fit our culture today when we talk about those kinds of things, but it's the reality of the truth of God's word. You know the, you know the words that struck me the hardest in this phrase? When he says against you. You will not know what hour I will come against you. I was like, man, Lord, I don't ever want to be against you. I don't ever want to be on that other side. And when I stand there and I begin to choose my own way and I begin to decide my own fate and I begin to decide all those things, I am moving away from God's word. And now I found myself at odds with the word of God, with truth. And if I find myself at odds with the word of God, I find myself at myself at odd with the author of the word. And dear people of God, we need to bring our lives, we need to turn, maybe you're here this morning and it's a time for you to repent and to turn. Jesus addresses the second group there, it's not a lot, he says yet you have, in verse four, yet you have still a few names, notice that word, did you read past it? He says yet you, uh, yet you have still a few names, not many, a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. I love this, I love this phrasing because it reminds me that Jesus always knows. He knows us. He knows our faithfulness and he knows our unfaithfulness. 
You know, in that culture, there was a mother goddess of El that, that they would worship. In order to worship her, they had to wear white. And so it's kind of ironic that here, and then also again in verse five, he makes reference to white robes or to, to the whiteness. And here's this picture where they're walking in white. And he says, hey, there's some who have not soiled their garments. They haven't bit into the, to the lies of the day. You know what that spoke to me? Is that our, that, <clears throat> that our spiritual conditions around us do not have to affect us. That we can walk in him. If we may be in the midst of dead activity, but we could still be faithful. Amen. Don't ever use the excuse that, that the people you're hanging around with, I don't care. Don't use the excuse, well, at work, don't use it. Because the next one is, well, the culture. The next one is, well, this is what it seems like. And you move further and further away from the gods where the reality is you can walk with Jesus right now. Don't blame your circumstances on your walk with God. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how tough your work is. I don't care how stressful life is. It is not an excuse not to walk with God. In fact, I believe he can use us in the middle of those for his glory. And he says, for they are worthy they remember the truth of God's word there in the last part. He says they are worthy. They remember the truth of God's word and they were walking in faith, trusting God and God, and, the, and God declared them worthy because of what Jesus has done. His righteousness, his worthiness in place of my unrighteousness and my unworthiness. It's the great exchange that he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made in the righteousness of God. It's our unworthiness, our, our unrighteousness. He took it and he gave us his worthiness that we might be righteous in him. And then it says that we get to walk with him. That represents our relationship and our fellowship with him. I, I think of it as like walking right into glory. I can't think of that, past, that verse without thinking about my mom. Um, I remember my mom got diagnosed with lung cancer and the doctor Told her, he said, told Lydia, Lydia was with her and said, you take her home today. If she was my mom, I would take her home today. He didn't give her, but just a few weeks to live and not even a month. And my mom, we brought her home and, and there was no, they weren't able to operate. It was out past that. My mom didn't want to do the chemo. She wanted to enjoy um, life and she wanted to visit with us and our kids and and I'll never forget the day came, the night before I was out there visiting with my mom because we turned our garage into like a little apartment and she stayed with us. And she ended up living five or six months, I think it was after they said, by the grace of God, some of the best days of my life with my mom. And I remember one morning I got up, got called out to the restaurant and I was out in the restaurant, I get a call from Lydia. Lydia's like, hey, you need to come home. Um, mom has just kind of turned and, and Aunt Fern says, you better you better get on home. And so I remember working to get home and the hospice nurse that came out, she was in the hospice already. Hospice nurse was out and I'm just getting in there and they're giving her meds to, so she wouldn't feel all the pain and all. And I'm literally getting there and, I, and she was starting to lose a little bit of consciousness and I went around and I got close to her like this, you know. I went, mom, she smiled, I'm sorry. And she smiled and she recognized me. I said, I love you, mom. 
she's like, I love you. And then she said, I'm scared. Sorry. I didn't think I'd get that emotional. I'm not that kind. I always like that. She said, I'm scared. I said, Mom, because we've been talking about it. I go, you're ready for this. You're ready to see Jesus. She looked at me and she said, she's got a big smile. And she goes, I am. And she went and got unconscious. And a few hours later, she passed away. I never forget the words of the hospice nurse saying to us, I've been, I've been doing this 25 plus years. She said, I've never seen such a peaceful, peaceful passing. God just kind of walked her on into glory. Right? I mean, those who don't soil their garments, who don't give up, who remember the truth and they walk with him and they trust him and they stay after him. He's gonna walk us into glory. I watched it, I saw it with my mom. I know there's gonna be a day that I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna see her again. He just, he walks with us. And those who conquer, he says there's three things there in verse five and I'll try to knock this out here pretty quick. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before the father and before his angels. That word dress right again, all of them were going to worship and they were going in to this pagan God. But here Jesus is dressing them in the white, the promise of glory, all because of what Jesus did. And then he says, I'll never blot their name out in the book of life. And we use that, so many preachers have used that to kind of in a negative way. You don't want your name blocked out. You don't want to blot it out. It's interesting in the culture at the time is that many of the cities had to register a book and they register all the citizens. And you know how you got removed out of that? You passed away. And then they would take your name out. And it's not a, it's not a threat. It's an affirmation of what Jesus is saying is your name's not going to be blocked out because I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And because Jesus is alive, we're alive. And your name's not going to be, be blotted out because of you're in Christ if you have believed and received him into your life. Amen? You know, so many of the Christians in the first century were often branded as political and social rebels and they were stripped of their citizenship. But Jesus gives us eternal citizenship in the everlasting kingdom. And then he says, I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. Jesus knows and he doesn't forget. He says, you're mine. He acknowledges us in our relationship with him. He is mine. You see, what ultimately counts is not our relationship with the culture, with the, with the society. It's not our relationship with this world that matters. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ and the work he's done in him alone. That's what matters. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's verse six. Has the Spirit spoken to you this morning? Where are you at? You begin to drift. You begin looking at other things and depending on other things to provide and meet life. There's only one. It's Christ. It's what he did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection that we might have life. This morning as we close in prayer, the praise team's gonna come up and sing. We'll have people up here on the front that will pray with you. If you if you have need of prayer, come up and pray. If you have things that you want to talk about, come up and they're here.
they're here. So let's pray. Father God, this morning, I pray that your spirit, Father, spoke to us, your people. I've learned, Father, in my walk with you is that you, you, don't, you keep us from complacency if we will listen, if we will hear. May your spirit speak to us this morning. May we hear your spirit. And may he, Father, penetrate those things in our lives that we need to adjust, that we need to deal with. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, may today be the day of salvation and may they respond. May they, Father, respond in faith, trusting you to do what you, only you can do. To you be the glory and the praise forever. Amen.